Did you see that? See what? Well, some guy just saved a kid from getting killed by a car, and then he flew up into the sky. Oh, he flew? Flew, you know, like a bird or a plane or whatever. It was crazy. Did you see what he looked like? Uh, he looked like a guy in a cape that was flying. You're listening to Superman or Else, and this is episode number two, The Story of the Century. Hello and welcome to Superman or Else, the podcast where I'm reading Superman comics and then talking about them, which I know Superman podcasts are a dime a dozen, but you know what? I'm going to do this anyway. I'm your host. My name is Steven, and I'm not one to beat around the bush, except, you know, when I do. So let's get beyond this self-indulgent monologuing stuff and jump into the comic, which, if you're in any way curious, is Man of Steel number two. This issue hit the stands on July 24th, 1986, and it had a cover price of just 75 cents. It was written and penciled by John Byrne, inks were by Dick Giordano, letters by John Costanza, and the colorist was Tom Ziuko. Now, here's what happened in the issue. This synopsis comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com. Superman, yep. Superman returns to Metropolis as a costume superhero. He immediately makes an impact on crime by stopping a purse snatcher and a group of armed robbers. Lois Lane follows the Man of Steel, seeking to get his story for the Daily Planet. When her attempts to catch up to him fail, she drives her own car off the end of a pier. Help me, Superman! Help! As she hoped, Superman comes to her rescue. Wow! Thanks, Superman. Superman returns Lois to her apartment and answers a few questions. Lois is thrilled that she will finally be able to write her article and make the headlines. However, as Superman warned her, the information does not help her. When Lois turns in the article to her boss, Perry White, she learns that she was beaten to the story by Clark Kent, a new reporter that Perry has hired. All right, so... Let's just look through this issue and I'll tell you my thoughts. I love comic books. We'll start with the cover. The standard cover for issue number one, along with the covers for two through six, all fit a certain theme. They all look the same. They are a, they've got the uh, Superman Man of Steel logo at the very top, which is kind of a Superman symbol that has been leaned back. So you see the, the bottom front side, I guess, I don't know what you want to call it, but it, and it says the, the Man of Steel across that. And then you get an image on the left side of something that happens in the issue, and then an image on the right side of a character that is being featured or maybe even debuts in this issue. And in, in this case, the left side has Superman pulling a car out of the water, and on the right side, we've got Lois Lane. And she's holding what looks like a tape recorder. And at the top, it does say, introducing Lois Lane. Now, oh, hi, Lois. I love the first page of this issue. The way this issue starts, it's like right off the bat, it's just this big boom. Because as the reader in this first page, we're actually looking through Perry White's eyes. He's sitting in some type of cafe or diner. And he's got a cup of coffee that he is bringing up to his mouth, and he's about to spill it. I'll tell you why in just a second. Of course, if you're looking at the page, you know why. But across from the table, sitting with him is Lois Lane, who's got a hamburger and a paper cup of coffee. And she's saying, Perry, what's wrong? And you can see behind her a big window that looks out upon the street there in Metropolis, and Superman is flying by, and folks are stopping to gawk up at him. It's just, it's a wonderful page. I love this page. It's a splash page. It says, Book Two, Superman, the story of the century at the top. And yeah, you've got this view through Perry's eyes, and, and the fact that Perry's about to spill his coffee, he's quite surprised. You can just imagine just this figure of a man just whoosh, whooshing by the frickin' window. And Perry's like, what the F, basically? <laughs> and Lois, you know, ever the intrepid reporter, notices something wrong in Perry's face. And uh, 
Yeah, it's because of Superman. And then the very next page, we're kind of looking down upon the street. Superman is flying up toward the camera and you see the window of the cafe. It says Cafe Metropolis. And it's uh, you kind of see uh, the figure of, of Lois on the other side of the window, but it's not it's not very clear. And she's going, oh, my gosh, it's him. It's him. And then uh, her and Perry run out onto the street. Perry's asking her, you're sure that this is the Superman who saved the crashing space plane? And she's like, well, it's got to be. He changed his outfit. But when was the last time you saw a flying man in Metropolis? And Perry tells her to get out there and get that story. And I don't think he needed to tell her that. She was going to do it regardless. And she goes running off into the street to go chase after Superman and says, Lois Lane is on the job. Well, as she gets out there, as she starts to set off, there is a a limousine parked outside the cafe and the driver of the limousine gets out and tells Miss Lane, yo, Miss Lane, Mr. L wants to see you. And Lois, who calls the man Guthrie, says to uh, tell his boss that she's busy and he doesn't want to do that. You can tell him yourself, Miss Lane. He's right here. And, uh. I don't know if that's what he sounds like, but the fact that he said, yo, Miss Lane, that's that makes me feel like that's how he talks. But she doesn't want to see Lex. And she basically just tells him that uh, just tell your boss that uh, I don't I'm not trying to uh, start anything here. I don't want any kind of confrontation, but I got stuff to do. So I'll see him later and runs off. And Guthrie is calling out to her. But Miss Lane, he's leaving for South America this evening. And he won't be back for at least a year. And uh, all we see of Lex Luthor in this issue, we see at the top of this page, uh, his profile in shadow, a profile of his face. So we don't see really his face at all. It's like a silhouette. And he is smoking a cigarette that's in one of those fancy rich person cigarette holders, those long stems that fancy people use. And he's, he's even got gloves on because he's super fancy. It is, I'm assuming winter at this point because Lois is wearing a big thick coat. So that's why Lex, I guess, is wearing gloves, even though he's probably warm and toasty inside that limousine. But the next image we see of Lex is just him peering out through a partially opened window in the back of the limousine. So all we see really are his eyes. And I I feel like this is being done on purpose because when we do see Lex later in this series, he's not really the Lex that we expect to see. And so by not really showing him here, they're not spoiling his reveal. Ultimately, his big reveal comes in in, in another issue. And folks, readers up to this point, they're used to a certain look on Lex Luthor and the silhouette kind of evokes the the way Lex has always looked up to this point. Now he's not alarmingly or dramatically different looking, but we'll we'll talk about that when next he shows up. And the fact that the chauffeur is telling Lois that he's not going to be back for at least a year, the next time we see him, which will be in Metropolis, which I don't think I'm I'm not sure which issue it is. It's either 3 or 4, but that must be at this point when we finally see Lex again, we, we must be looking at a, a time jump a year later. And so Lois takes off, leaving Lex and Guthrie behind. But she just that small delay has got her very upset because she she can't find Superman. He's completely gone. So she finds a payphone really quick and she calls somebody named Sid and asks for Chuck because she has a huge favor. To ask. Ten minutes later, she's in a LexCorp helicopter, which is being flown, I'm assuming, by Chuck, who is doing her this favor. And they're flying around Metropolis looking for Superman. But Chuck points out that they're probably not going to find him using a helicopter in this way because Superman's a guy, a man who flies. He's not an airplane. He's not a helicopter. He doesn't follow a regular flight path. And because he's small, And, you know, compared to their helicopter, for example, and he has much more maneuverability, he can be down there among the buildings and they will never they will never spot him from where they're at. And so then he recommends that she start listening to the police band because maybe they can. Well, because she might hear a report of some kind of crime 
or that that Superman would be drawn to or just a report of a Superman sighting that they could rush to. We didn't get this the the first scene really of Superman in costume stopping a crime. We have a a woman with purpley pink hair. I'm guessing that it's pink, but I have been told before that the the when I see pink on something, it's actually purple. I am a, I am a bit colorblind, so uh, I'm seeing pink, pink hair, green vest, pink shirt. She's kind of a punker, basically. You're a punk. Is that what that's about? Yeah, check out my outfit. And she's got a boom box that she's carrying up on her shoulder so that the speakers are right by her ear. She's rocking out to something. And then some dude just comes out of nowhere and snatches her purse and runs off. And her reaction to this is great. She just stands there watching him run away and she's going, oh, man. And the guy's running away and he's looking pretty satisfied with himself. And then suddenly Superman lands in front of him and the guy screeches to a halt. Basically, he's sprinting down the sidewalk and suddenly there's this man in a costume standing before him. But the the thief manages to stop and turn around and he starts to run in the opposite direction. But hey, Superman's there as well because Superman is super fast and in perfect Superman style. He doesn't like hit the guy or knock him down or anything like that. He just gently places a hand on the man's shoulder and he says, you really don't want to steal that young woman's purse, do you? She doesn't look as if she has much more money to spare than you. And that's Superman. You know, he doesn't just stop crime. He teaches a lesson at the same time. And that's that's one of those things that I just love about him. And I don't really see him do that a lot these days, but uh, I love it. Thanks, Superman. Didn't even see that broken sidewalk. Because you were riding double, breaking an important bicycle safety rule. And the thief, his reaction to all this is homina, 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 which uh, I don't believe I've ever heard anybody say out loud in real life other than saying it as a joke. I don't believe I've ever heard anybody actually truly say it and mean it as some type of a scared reaction. Homina, homina, homina. I know I never have. I'd be interested to hear if you have done that or if you have been around someone who legitimately did that. Again, not as a joke. So Superman picks the guy up, flies him back to the to the woman whose purse was stolen. She's back to walking down the sidewalk with her boombox on her shoulder. And it's really kind of a small little thing. But I do think it's very significant that the next time we see this woman after her purse has been stolen, she's not like standing on the sidewalk and looking upset or trying to flag down a police officer. She's just going on with her day as she was doing before she had her purse stolen, which tells me that maybe a purse snatching on the streets of Metropolis is not an uncommon occurrence. And so rather than be totally wigged out or scared or even angry. She's just, she, I I imagine that between the panels from her going, oh man, to her just bebopping back down the street with their boom box. She just kind of went, oh, well, it's going to happen. That's Metropolis for you. But Superman finds her, flies down. He's, he's holding on, you know, to the dude, the, the thief, he's carrying him and he lands in front of her and hands her the purse and says, I believe this belongs to you. And she's rather speechless. And the music from her boombox stops. And we get a news report that's interrupting the broadcast to uh, inform the citizens that police have surrounded Clancy's Liquor Store on East 50th Street, where four armed gunmen are known to be holding at least three persons hostage. So Superman realizes, all right, I got to go take care of this now but I got to do something with this guy. So he stuffs him into a trash can and then hangs him from a lamp post. And then he tells the woman that that should hold him until she can call the police and press charges. And then again, in a very Superman fashion, he just kind of calmly reaches over and with his pinky, he moves the, 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 the slider, the volume slider on the boombox. It's not a knob, it's a slider. And he slides the volume down and he says, oh, and I think that radio is a trifle loud, don't you? 
After all, in a city this size, consideration for others is the only thing that keeps life bearable. And then he flies away and says, bye now. And again, <laughs> I love that about Superman. It's, it's not enough that he caught a purse thief. He is also fighting against noise pollution in the big city. You know, it's, he, he could have just went, here you go, ma'am. Here's your purse. And, and here's the thief. You might want to call the police. But no, he's got to teach her a lesson as well about respecting the people around her. And yeah, again, I love that. So we then go to Clancy's liquor store. Yeah! We're going to the liquor store. SWAT team is outside. And I don't know if we ever see this guy again, but the guy in charge of the SWAT team, his name is Captain Reagan or Regan. I'm assuming it's Reagan, though. It might be Regan. And he's got a bullhorn and he's saying, now hear this, you in the store. This is Captain Regan of the Special Weapons and Tactics Squad. I'm giving you just one minute to come out and you can start releasing the hostages now. But the, the armed robbers who are holding these hostages in this liquor store, they don't seem to care. Matter of fact, one of them yells out to the cops, in your ear, pig, <laughs> which, wow, language, mister. But the reason I'm pointing this out is because at this point, Captain Regan or Reagan, I'm going to say Regan, he is rather upset by that because as he says, I was kind of hoping my reputation would be enough to scare them out of there. So immediately I'm curious, what's his reputation? Do we see this guy again? Because I don't believe, I don't have any memory of seeing this guy again, but I would have to assume just based on that one panel that we're going to see him again at some point down the road. And possibly he's a very violent cop, maybe. Maybe when he takes out the bad guys, he takes out the bad guys, you know? And that's why he was hoping that his reputation alone would scare the punks out of there. But it didn't happen. And so it seems as if they are going to have to go on in. They're going to have to go into the liquor store and get him. Somebody had to remember to take out the trash. And the one of the members of the SWAT team He's suggesting this idea to the captain and even expresses that while they are going to have to go in after them, there probably is going to be some civilian casualties. And they don't seem to be upset about that. It's just kind of a, I feel like it's just kind of par for the course to use a golf analogy that is a game I've never played and don't know a lot about. But it's just kind of the same old, same old with them. We got to take out some bad guys, and that may mean some of the hostages dying, but you know, it's all for the greater good. The greater good. But that's when Superman swoops in and tells them that he can help. And he just kind of takes control of the situation and pretty much ignores any kind of authority that the cops may hold. And I remember reading this a couple of years ago and being very, I don't know, I thought, wow, Superman is really disrespectful to authority here because he's like, he just kind of tells them, uh, ask your men to pull back, please. I don't want to risk them getting hit by stray bullets. And the captain's like, hey, wait, where are you going? And, and Superman just starts walking toward the liquor store and he just says, just do as I ask, please, Captain. Believe me, it will make your life much easier. And just ignores the captain's protests. The captain doesn't, you know, he doesn't actually try to stop Superman, which is kind of weird. I have to assume that he, because he doesn't, I doubt that at this point, the captain knows this must be that Superman guy and he's bulletproof. He's not going to get hurt. I just, I don't know. It's the, the fact that the captain is not trying to stop Superman in any way means that he could just care less about any innocent people possibly dying in any kind of firefight because I would assume that an actual police officer who is interested in doing the job right, first of all, wouldn't want just a civilian walking into danger like this. Secondly, they he's got to know that a dude in a freaking costume and cape walking into this situation may exacerbate what is already a very dangerous situation. What does exacerbate mean? It means I'm... Um to make things worse. Right. And could possibly cause the armed robbers to gun down all of their hostages. There's just a lot that could go wrong 
with some strange dude in a costume. Just, don't worry, man, I've got this. Please stay back. And the fact that he doesn't really try to stop him other than just say, hey, come back here. That's it. He doesn't send any of his men to uh, try to apprehend Superman. He doesn't try to stand in his way. He just, it's like he's just going, no, stop, don't. Stop, don't, come back. You know, it's it's a very weird kind of scene. And I, I have to assume that it's, it's, it's being done on purpose. The very subtle way of telling us that this captain who we've already heard that he's got a reputation of some sort that he was hoping would scare these bad guys into uh, laying down their guns and coming on out. But uh, I feel like there's a part of this guy that wants something really bad to happen to give them a valid excuse for just storming the liquor store, guns blazing, and then asking questions after the smoke clears. And hostages be damned. If they all die, whatever. That's just the price that has to be paid to put some bad guys in prison. So, uh, yeah, I found that really interesting. But again, I remember when I read this a few years back, I thought, wow, Superman is being really disrespectful to authority. I don't remember Superman being like that. He was always very respectful to authority figures and police are to a certain extent authority figures. But having read a number of golden age Superman stories, I know that the Superman back then wasn't really respectful of the police because many of the the police officers at the time would have been very corrupt. And Superman at the time was a champion of the oppressed and the police then just as they are now can be very oppressive when it comes to your standard citizen. And so this kind of polite yet brusque manner of Superman just dismissing the police entirely, I actually really enjoy it quite a bit. Can you dig it? My opinion of police officers in general has changed drastically over the last couple of years. Fuck off, It's one of those things that as a white man in rural Kansas, I don't see a lot of cops abusing their power. But, you know, I've woken up over the last couple of years and we see it every day. And I love that Superman is basically just, you guys stand back. You let me handle this because, I, you know, I don't know if this was John Burns' intent, but that's how I'm reading it now, that Superman is basically just, you guys are terrible. You're terrible people. You're ready to rush in there and gun everybody down. And again, hostages be damned. And while I'm not going to get all up in your face about it, because that's not how Superman is at this point, he, you know, he's just going to dismiss them. He's, he, he literally just ignores them. He dismisses them from his thoughts. They are nothing more to him than a momentary distraction as he walks by them. And I, I just, I love that so much. Uh, so he gets to the liquor store. We're going to the liquor store. The bad guy that was out front that was holding the gun to one of the hostages' heads who told the cops to stick it in their ear or whatever really mean thing he said. He points his gun, his machine pistol thing, at Superman, and he's telling him not to come any closer, but Superman just keeps slowly moving toward him with a smile on his face, and the the guy his, holding the gun out, is he's panicking, and the gun is shaking. And he's like, I hold it. I said, hold it. And Superman just calmly reaches out and pinches the barrel of the gun closed. The three other bad guys who are in the liquor store, the liquor store. see this happening and they start freaking out. Holy spit. Did you see? I saw it, but I don't believe it. Huh, how did it do that? And uh, one of these bad guys is actually a bad girl. She's the leader of this team. And she tells them, don't waste time worrying about tricks, you idiots. Waste the mother. And they just empty their freaking guns on Superman. And the bullets bounce off his chest. And his eyes, they don't glow red. He uses his heat vision here. And I don't really know how his heat vision is or, or how it was portrayed in the comics up to this point. Because I wasn't really a a reader of Superman comics post or, or pre-crisis. I know in the cartoons, I feel like in the Super Friends, whenever he'd use his heat vision, they were actually like red laser beam looking things that came out of his eyes. And uh, here it's just 
the parts of his eyes that would be blue just kind of turn red. And then suddenly the guns heat up and start smoking and get so hot that these criminals have no real choice but to drop them. Now, I've seen a lot of images over the last 20 years of Superman with glowing red eyes. That seems to be something that people like to do when, when they've decided, you know, they'll, they'll put Superman in shadows so his face is completely in shadow, but his eyes are just these glowing red eyes. So he looks very demonic. And that's supposed to be him getting angry and ready to use his heat vision. But that's not how it looks here. Again, it's not his entire eyeballs glowing red. It's just a little part of the iris that would, the, the, the colored part that would normally be blue just kind of turns red. And I don't know if I like that or not. Uh, I Frankly, I kind of enjoy the actual visual look of the laser beams coming, coming out of his eyes. I, I've always enjoyed that. So anyway... Superman takes out one of the bad guys uh, by moving incredibly fast, but using a couple of his softest taps, as he says, and kind of clocks the guy in the chin and knocks him out. Actually, he takes out, you know, I never noticed this before. It, he takes out both two of, the, two of the bad guys at the same time, leaving just the woman alone by herself. And now he's in shadow facing this woman and everything all we can see of, of Superman from the chest up is just one black silhouetted figure, but the, the S shield on his chest is, is full color. And he says to her, now then. And she goes, uh, you wouldn't hit a lady, would you? And he just gently removes her glasses because she's wearing sunglasses. And he says, a lady? No, I'd never hit a lady. And then he flicks her chin with his finger, kind of like he'd flick somebody's ear. And it makes this sound. We've got a sound effect that goes plink. And she falls unconscious onto the floor. Well, actually, he catches her before she actually falls to the floor. And he removes from her person under her coat. She had a uh, explosive device made out of dynamite rigged to a, a timer and a detonator. And he didn't. Well, he uses his heat vision to zap the wires. So the, the explosive device no longer works. And it's something he was, he didn't want to do it while she was still wearing it. And so that's why he took her out. But I love that, that, that scene where he just gently takes off of her sunglasses and then plink, and she's knocked out. And then he leaves. Lois arrives on the scene too late, just as Superman has left. She, she, has the helicopter pilot drop her off on the roof of a nearby building and she runs down um, all of the stairs. And as she arrives, she learns that Superman took off just a few seconds ago. And then we get a few pages where that seems to be the theme for Lois over the next few days. Her arriving on the scene just as Superman left. And it's actually a nice little sequence. It's four panels on one page. And it says, and in the days that follow, and we get the first panel with Lois wearing like a leather coat and she's got her tape recorder and she's at the scene of a fire and there's a firefighter saying, sorry, Miss Lane. And then the next panel, Lois is wearing a different outfit altogether. And she's, I guess, in a bank. I'm not really sure what this place is, but the, the bank manager or whoever is saying he was here. And then panel number three is down in the subway area where she's wearing a third outfit and the subway is, uh, or the, the, the subway train is smashed in and the subway driver, or at least somebody from the Metropolis Transportation Authority who is helping an injured woman says, but you just, and then we get the fourth panel. Lois is now in a fourth change of clothes talking to a security guard who drives an armored car and he's saying missed him. So we get basically the four characters. You put it all together. Sorry, Miss Lane. He was here, but you just missed him. But they spread it out over four, at least four days because these are four different changes of clothes. And I really enjoyed that. And John Byrne does a really good job of dressing Lois in the fashion of the day, which was really neat to see in the 80s, but it really does date the book. There's really nothing you can do about that. I don't have any issue with that. I've actually heard people complain who have read this recently about how because of the the way that 
John Byrne dresses Lois using the actual fashions from the time. I'm assuming he probably looked through fashion magazines and whatnot and would use these these outfits that he would see and he would put them on Lois. And I've heard some folks complain about that because it dates the book and it, you can there's there's no question that this book is from the 80s because of her outfits alone. And and I don't mind it. It doesn't bother me. I like knowing that this is from the 80s. John, uh, John Romita Jr. used to do that as well in uh, back in the X-Men days in the 80s. And I've always enjoyed that. It's I, I have to imagine, I mean, how difficult would that be for an artist to put your characters in clothing that would be considered timeless? That, you know, no matter which era you read the book in, it feels like it's happening in your era. Well, that's never going to work just simply because of technology. I mean, Lois used a freaking payphone at one point in this issue. So regardless of what she's wearing, stuff like that is going to date the book. Well, we go from this scene to the Daily Planet. Lois is in her office. And again, she's wearing a total 80s outfit. I just love it. A long white skirt with white boots and a big sweater with like a white, like over fluffy turtleneck underneath it. It's just, oh my God, it's so 80s. I love it so much. Tubular. But Jimmy Olsen bursts into her office to, to tell her something. But as soon as he sees her, he's immediately distracted because she looks miserable. And she explains to him that, of course, she's miserable. She spent the better part of a week chasing down this super guy all over Metropolis and not catching him. She says, all I've got to show for my trouble is sore feet. And in the meantime, the other newspapers in Metropolis are using the Superman name that she had coined already when she wrote the article about Superman saving the space plane. Jimmy says to her, jeepers, that's rough, Miss Lane. Too bad you can't find a way to be on the spot before he gets there. And I can't help but read Jimmy's voice in the way that if you've ever watched a Simpsons episode in which a teenage boy, uh, usually somebody working at, at a, I- any kind of retail outlet that the, the Simpsons come across, they always have this like, jeepers, Ms. Lane, too bad you can't find a way to be on the spot, you know, as their voice is kind of changing as a teenage boy. Here's your taco, mister. That's how I read Jimmy's voice in here especially because he uses the word jeepers and he's wearing a bow tie. If there's one thing John Byrne did not change in the Superman universe, he really made Jimmy a geek, a nerd, a dork. And I'm not sure why he did that. I mean, that's the way I guess Jimmy has always been up to this point, but I don't know if I was in charge of this, I would have, I I would have really focused on, I mean, that's one of the big changes I would make is to make Jimmy more up to date as far as the teenagers at this time in the eighties, you know, maybe not one of these punk kids with their punk rock hair and, and, and doing their punk rock stuff. But you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima hula hoops and Pac-Man video games, you know, just a typical teenager who has, uh, who's motivated to make some money. I got no problem with Jimmy being a nerd. I, I, you know, I kind of love it. He's, you know, again, he's wearing a bow tie, so he probably didn't have a good or doesn't have a good time at school, which kind of endears him to me. I, I find him a little bit more relatable this way, but I don't know. I'm just surprised they didn't, they didn't update him. He, you know, John Byrne does go to great strides again to ensure that Lois is wearing the fashion of the day. He makes her I think he makes her a very strong character, um, but it's like he just he decided he just wasn't going to change Jimmy in any way. And while I find it odd, I almost have no problem with that at all. Anyway, he tells Lois, too bad you can't find a way to be on the spot before he gets there. And that gives Lois an idea. And she kind of almost looks at the camera and she's like, hmm, like she's an idea has just come to her. Well, We move forward. Superman is flying through the city and he hears somebody calling out for help. And using his telescopic vision, he sees in the river that flows through the city that there is a uh, what he considers a damsel in distress. And he can see a, a car in the river that is sinking. And he's saying, and that's not just any damsel, Lois Lane. And so he flies there very fast and uh, the, the car is already at the bottom of the river 
And he dives down into the water and he picks up the car and he pulls it out of the water and the water comes gushing out the windows. And Lois, who's wearing the same outfit that she was wearing when she was in the office there with Jimmy. So I, this is the same day, I would have to assume. I, I just, Lois, the way that the fashion that, that John Byrne has been putting on her so far in this issue and the fact that we haven't seen her wearing the same outfit twice in this, in, you know, in subsequent days. I, I just have a feeling that Lois never wears the same outfit twice, but I don't know. Anyway, he, Superman opens the door for her and she steps out of the car and she's soaking wet and he picks her up to fly her home. And here is where it gets super creepy. I don't understand John Byrne's thought behind this line, but he picks her up and he says, here, let me fly you home. And she goes, you, you know where I live? And his response is, of course, Miss Lane, I know where everyone lives. You're so creepy, man. And they emphasize the word everyone. And that, I don't know. I just don't know. If I'm a citizen of Metropolis and suddenly a freaking dude in a cape who can fly and perform amazing feats of strength, regardless of the fact that he seems to be only focusing on crime and stamping out crime, just the fact that somebody like that exists should make people nervous. And I know that a lot of the stories involving Superman over the last 20 years, a lot of writers kind of focus on that. The whole, here is a, an alien from outer space with the power to take over the world and let's make people be super mistrustful of him and, and, and all this stuff. They don't really do that here. And yet at the same time, he gives Superman this line, I know where everyone lives. That would freak me the flip out if I was Lois. And frankly, if I was any other, you know, if I was any citizen of Metropolis and I heard that, I'd probably move because that's creepy. And I don't feel, because this is really kind of the first time we get a creepy vibe from Superman. And that makes me feel like John Byrne, when he put that line in, he didn't mean for it to be creepy. You know, that gives me, that makes me concerned about John Byrne a little bit. Because that's a that's a super creepy line. And uh, knowing that in the previous issue, when Jor-El was talking about Earth and how Kal-El would be like a god, I don't know. That's a super creepy line. Anyway, he drops her off at home on her, her balcony and then he goes to fly off. And she's like stammering because she can't believe that A, she just flew and B, Superman is in her, you know, well, standing on her balcony, he's not actually in her apartment at this point, but she just, she's stammering because he's about to leave. And she's like, yeah, uh, er, uh, bye. Uh, hey, hey, no, wait, come back here. She screams. And then he says, yes, and turns around and we go a little bit forward in the future, about 15, 20, 30, 40, I don't know, an hour later, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. But Lois has taken a shower or at least she's changed her clothes. She's got out of her wet clothes. She's wrapped a towel around her head. She's wearing a, a robe and may very well be naked under that robe. Just the robe and nothing else underneath it, which, I don't know. Superman's a strange dude. He knows where you live. He knows where everyone lives. And you invite him in and then immediately take your clothes off and throw just a thin robe on. I don't know. I don't know. Lois seems to be smarter than that. And yet, here it is. Completely naked. Completely naked. We also learn uh, that Lois has a cat. We don't know the cat's name. It's just there in her apartment. But she offers Superman a little snack, some white wine and brie. And Superman, being the big boy scout he is, says, Well, I hope you won't thank me too ungrateful, Miss Lane, but I don't drink, generally speaking. And I never really acquired the taste for brie. And so Lois says, ah, whatever, well, I'm having some. And then she starts asking him questions. She's trying to get, you know, information so she can write the big article. And she, uh, she doesn't get a lot out of him. She asks him, you know, what she should call him. And he tells her that she's already named him. So let's just use that. And so she says, Superman, all right, we can, we can do that. You can call me Lois. And then she asks him where he's from. She says, are you a Metropolis boy? Or are you from out of town? And he says, well, I guess you could say out of town. To be honest, I don't really know exactly where I'm from. I guess it really doesn't matter. What matters is that I think and feel as an American. 
which uh, just makes you want to stand up and salute, doesn't it? <laughs> Nowadays, I read that more as what matters is that I think and feel as an American. But uh, I don't think Superman would be down with the MAGA crowd. I don't care what anybody says. The maggots can say that he is, but he's not. He's no longer about truth, justice in the American way. He's about truth, justice. And I don't remember what the third one is, but it's, it's, I mean, at one point he denounced his American citizenship in the comics. Ah, that pissed a lot of conservatives off. Anyway, as soon as he tells her that, you know, he's not from Metropolis, he doesn't know where he's from. He, he gets up to leave and that surprises her, you know, you're leaving and he tells her, look, there's there's really nothing more I can tell you. And anything that I have given you is really not going to be of much use. And, you know, I have to leave. And then he kind of turns. He's almost does like a Columbo thing. Uh, 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 one more question, ma'am. And he says, just out of curiosity, do you always drive around with an aqualung under the front seat of your car? And then he flies away and she's like pleasantly surprised. She's thinking to herself, wow, he knew all the time he knew. And then he's thinking to himself as he flies away that she's quite the woman. He is, he's very smitten with Lois Lane. Oh, you are so much the smitten kitten. And he finds it, he finds it a real testament to her character, to the type of person she is, to her tenacity, that she would deliberately drive her car off the pier just to lure him in for an interview. He's, he just, he thinks that's wonderful. He loves that about her. And, but, you know, but then he re, he kind of he kind of thinks to himself that it's a good thing he was on this side of the world when she did that because he didn't notice a rescue crew standing by just in case. And the aqua lung or, or the, the scuba tank that she had in the car was very small and she would have run out of air by the time he heard her cry for help had he been on the other side of the world. And he doesn't even know at this point if he would have even heard her from the other side of the world and realizes that maybe he might want to try to start testing out the limits of his super senses. How far can he see? How far can he hear? And as he's thinking this, he has landed on the, the roof of the Daily Planet where he has a stash of clothes uh, hidden, or actually they're just stacked up on a vent. And he changes his clothes into a uh, his Clark Kent identity because he has an appointment that Clark Kent has made with Perry White. Great little Caesar's ghost. Two hours later, Lois arrives at the Daily Planet. She's got her freaking article that she's written and she bursts in to Perry's office to give it to him. She's really excited about it. He doesn't seem to be all that thrilled. And the reason he doesn't seem to be all that thrilled is as he points out to her based on the front page of the paper, that they already have the story. They got the exclusive. They've already released it. And that just blows her mind. She's pissed off. How, how, how could that even be possible? And that's when Perry gestures out the front door of the office to a new employee, the man who brought them the story, Clark Kent. And we see Clark sitting at his desk, his hair slicked back, his glasses on, and he's typing away at something. We don't see what it is. I'm going to assume. It's a computer word processor at this point. I doubt they're using typewriters. I, I see a computer on one desk as Lois is uh, storming through the office, bustling through on her way to the, uh, to the office, to, to, to Perry's office, to win the day, only to be completely let down. I really rather enjoyed this issue. I think um, so far when it comes to the first two post-crisis Superman comics. The first one was all right. Issue one, where we kind of get a very, I mean, really a one issue brief origin of Superman. Uh, I just felt like Byrne had to pack a lot of information into one book, one issue. And nowadays, I guarantee you nowadays, if somebody was doing this, the, uh, Everything that was in that first issue would have been stretched out across six, five or six issues. I guarantee you. I guarantee. But they didn't really do that back then. They they tried to uh, pack a lot of story into each issue. And sometimes I think that's great. And sometimes, you know, I think sometimes it works. 
to the writer's advantage and makes uh, a comic book or a series of books just some great comics. And sometimes I think it works to their detriment. And I feel like here, that first issue, it it was really nice to look at. It had some fun moments, but it just there was just too much, too much in one in one issue. I think that maybe it should have been spread out across two, or I, I don't know. Um, I always like to talk about if I was put in charge of a book, you know, how I would do it. And I think I would almost start issue one with Superman having either already been established, or we start issue one with Superman making his debut, his, his basically kind of the way this issue started. I think that's how issue one should have started. Should have started just like that. But as we progress through these six issues, we get the backstory as we go along. We're not just, we don't just have the origin dumped on us right from the beginning. You know, it's almost like, all right, well, everybody knows at this point what Superman's origin is, but we have to do it here because it's a reboot and we are going to change a couple of things. So let's just get it out there in the freaking issue and get it out of the way so we can start getting into some other stuff. And I don't know, I wouldn't have done it that way. I think uh, the way this issue started, issue number two, it, that should have been the first issue. And it, was, and it should be as Lois is investigating that some of the backstory comes up. Maybe not Lois is uncovering this, but we learn it during the investigation as the reader, because the reader often learns information that the character doesn't. And sometimes the reader is just in as much of the dark as the, as the characters are. But I don't know. I think that's the way I would have done it. Um, you know, I always feel like whenever I talk about a comic, I should talk about the art. John Byrne. It's beautiful. It's wonderful looking. I love John Byrne. And I think by the time we, we finish issue number two, uh, post-crisis Superman is off to a, just a, a great freaking start. Regardless of the fact that I would have done it differently, this is this is what was done. This is the story John Byrne to- chose to tell, and I love it. I'm enjoying it. Um, as compacted as the first issue was, I'm still enjoying the crap out of it. Two issues in. I don't know how many times I've read this, but I've read this a number of times, and it does say something that I can continue to read this story over and over and over and not get sick of it. That being said, I'm looking forward to getting a little further in because while I have read Man of Steel, these six issues a number of times, I feel like once we get past Man of Steel and then get into the three books, Superman, The Adventures of Superman, and Action Comics, I know I didn't get too far back in the day when I was reading these. I don't remember when my brother stopped buying them, but I know that on the number of occasions that I have tried to do a reread, and then try to get even further. I only get a couple of issues in after Man of Steel before I'm distracted in some fashion. Something takes me away. And that's, I mean, that's why I'm doing the podcast, really. The podcast helps give me a reason to keep moving forward. Now, logically, you would say, well, shouldn't the story give you a reason to keep moving forward? Yes. Yes, the story should give me a reason to keep moving forward. But there are so many freaking comic books out there, so many great stories that I get distracted really easily. And the only thing that can, well, I don't want to say the only thing that can get me to focus on one particular story is if I'm going to podcast about it. That's not really the case. I've, you know, I spent a week, week and a half, maybe last year reading all of Paper Girls, and I didn't talk about any of that on the podcast. But because I do have other books that I read and talk about on the other podcasts I do, sometimes I get distracted. And so this helps me from being distracted. It has nothing to do with whether or not the story is good. I don't want anybody thinking that uh, obviously the story is not great. Otherwise, he wouldn't get distracted all the time. It's, it's not like that. My, my brain is built a little differently than other people. I am not a neurotypical person. And often when I get distracted, it's because something else catches my eye and I get focused on that. And before I know it, a year and a half has gone by and I haven't read a single issue from a certain series. And then I got to start it all back over again. So try not to do that this time, folks. Why we're doing the podcast. Anyway, that's all I got to say about this issue. Really enjoy it. I'm loving the ride so far, even just two issues in. 
but I am most looking forward to getting beyond Man of Steel, getting into the thick of John Byrne's run, and then beyond. Because once we get a few months into John Byrne's run, that's where my post-crisis Superman reading history kind of ends, and it doesn't pick back up again until 1992 when the death of Superman started up. So that's, that's a great big chunk right there. We're talking about probably at least half of 86, 87. Well, no, half of 87, because I probably got into the books that were released in 87. So we'll just say half of 1987, 88, 89, 90, 91, and then through to uh, October of 1992. So you're, we're looking at five, five and a half, six years of Superman stories that I really haven't read. Gone back and read a couple of them, but not a lot. So I hope you stick around with me while we do that. I know I said it at the beginning, there's a crap ton of other Superman podcasts out there. There are other podcasts that are doing the very same thing that, I've, that I'm doing, and they're probably doing it better, but nobody can do it the way I do it. That doesn't mean my way of doing it is better. It's just different. It's in the eye or the ear of the beholder to determine what's better. I don't know why I'm getting into all that. Anyway, that's all I got to say, folks. Next, we're going to look at Man of Steel number three, and that is entitled One Night in Gotham City and features the first time post-crisis that Superman meets Batman. That should be fun. Bye. Superman or Else is a Stephen or Else production in association with the Superman Super Show. Questions and comments can be directed to the Superman Super Show at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at my Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or, and in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anyone else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this podcast with a friend. Superman is published by DC Comics and was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Uh-oh, young Tommy is smoking a cigarette, creating his own smog cloud. Tommy's up to bat. Tommy smokes because he thinks it makes him look grown up. But watch what smoking does for him. <coughs> that coughing is one thing. It keeps him from playing his best. You're out! Don't smoke. It doesn't make you grown up. It makes you a loser. <laughs> <laughs>